Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It is Saturday, September the 9th, 2023. I've got some good news for you. We're not going to do a show, another show on the crisis or what some people see the crisis in the Republican Party on Trump or DeSantis or any of that. We will do those in the future. But today we're focusing on the Democrats. So in my view, and I've said this before on the show, I think in historical terms, they're actually more interesting than the Republicans or perhaps more depressing. Uh, the headlines, of course, on the on the Democrats are all about these old people in California, the Californian uh, Senator Dianne Feinstein is involved in this weird legal battle on her money. I'm not sure if she's even coherent. Meanwhile, another very, very old Democrat, Nancy Pelosi, has announced that she's going to seek House re-election, even if she's 83. This woman will probably live to 183. And the current American president, who most people seem to have forgotten, his uh, approval ratings have dropped to 39%. There seems to be increasingly likelihood that he won't run. We won't know that, I guess, until uh, sometime next year. It all speaks to a, a gerontocracy within the Democratic Party, for better or worse, an ideological gerontocracy, a crisis of uh, a crisis of ideology and perhaps even a crisis of uh, organization. And where do we make sense of that? My guest today, I think, will make sense of it by going back to the presidency of a certain Bill Clinton. Um, he is the co-author of a new book called A Fabulous Favor, not favor, A Fabulous Failure, The Clinton Presidency and the Transformation of American Capitalism. Uh, Nelson Lichtenstein teaches uh, at Santa Barbara. He's a historian. Uh, Nelson, welcome. Congratulations on the new book. It's not a, uh, it's it's a fabulous failure. Although, of course, uh, it's not very fabulous. I don't think in your mind that title is ironic. Uh, when one thinks of this gerontocracy, Nelson, within the Democratic Party, of these incredibly old people who won't go away, who won't die, whether it's Pelosi or Feinstein or Biden. Do we need to trace all this back to our old friend Bill Clinton and his failed administration, or at least in your mind, his failed administration? Well, all, they were all um, uh, figures during that period, that's for sure. And uh, whether they're they're aging and, and not... Uh, and not leaving the scene is, is part of is to be blamed on Clinton. I'm not sure. I mean, we also have Bernie Sanders, who's I mean, uh, you know, who, who's a, on the left, and he's in the same generation and the same age. Um, they, I would say that that the, the Clinton moment um, in the early '90s was a powerful one because remembering uh, that moment, uh, Clinton's election. Uh, was the first time really in, in 12 years that, that a Democrat had been won, and really since Nixon, because the Carter uh, uh, presidency was not viewed uh, in any uh, 
respect by Democrats by the early 90s. So so Clinton, and then he was the first uh, two-term uh, Democratic president since FDR. So, uh, you know, there was a kind of... Uh, uh, generation there. I should say, by the way, that remarkable, a number of Clinton people, not only were they in the Obama administration, but they're also in the Biden administration. Now, sometimes they've changed their ideas. They don't have the same ideas they had. or the Sometimes same... I don't think they had any ideas in the first place. Yeah, they're not the same ones, but, but they are still, that they are there. They're, they're, um, it is uh, astonishing. So let's remind ourselves of the history, Nelson. Um, Clinton was the first Democratic president, real Democratic president, I guess, since, as you suggested, um, I, I guess since JFK. I mean, if you... Well, and LBJ, yes, he, he was... Any, any, uh, any, JFK yeah. and LBJ, if you don't really count Jimmy Carter. Right. I, I'm rereading Rick Perlstein's oh, yes. trilogy of books on yep. Nixon and Reagan. Mm -hmm. What happened to the left and the Democratic Party as... Nixon and then later Reagan reinvented America or transformed America yes. or ruined America, however you think of it. Well, right. Well, as well, one of the major, major things that happened, of course, was the beginning of the hollowing out of the industrial Midwest and the weakening of what had always been uh, the pillar of, of a kind of left, center left, social democratic left in America, that is the labor movement. And the one of the unfortunate things about Clinton coming to power, I think he, he does come to power with ideas about reinvigorating Amer the American economy. He has some ideas about that. But, but, but the labor movement, which is today enjoying a kind of renaissance, and we're most many of us are kind of delighted about that. But in in the early in the eighties, nineties, this was a, the nadir of American labor, both in terms of power and also in terms of kind of its attractiveness to other people. It, it just seemed utterly stolid. So that was a pillar uh, that all uh, liberal uh, Democrats ha have relied upon, and it simply wasn't there for Clinton. And I think that was one of the major things that made his... Well, let's... Uh, you're a historian, so let's frame it historically, Nelson. Yeah. Um, Bush the elder seems to have failed. He was... Yeah. Uh, Reagan warmed up Reagan, uh, not even 2.0. So, so Clinton comes to power... In uh, wins the election in 1992. Right. Uh, you write about the excitement. What was the excitement that? Um, yeah. Uh, that um, that Bill Clinton offered yes. back in yes. I mean, 1992. What was the promise in your right. mind? Right. I mean, the, Clinton's in the doghouse today, and properly so. But he did, he wasn't in the doghouse among liberals in 1992. And his promise was the Cold War was over and therefore we will have the resources uh, and the will to, you know, to repute to turn back Reaganism and to to do uh, a kind of the the infrastructure and the kind of social welfare and the and all of the and, and a number of liberal things uh, that that were or had been on the agenda at healthcare that was the most important of them and all uh, had been on the agenda for many decades and hadn't been attempted and he was going to do that he 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 the phrase industrial policy which is now uh, been 
uh, around in the Biden era and and the, and and around the, the just in the public today, uh, Clinton was with his friends Robert Reich, Ira Magaziner, uh, Laura Tyson. Uh, these people they were they were advocates of a kind of targeted investment to uh, revitalize certain sectors of American American industry. And now that fails. And I, my book is really about why that fails, why it's stymied, why the Robert Rubens of the world become out on top. But that so, really- so, right. So he comes to power in 1992. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lots of excitement. You yeah. see the excitement. I don't think anyone, whether you're a critic of, of Clinton or not, would deny yeah. that excitement. Is your reading, uh, Nelson, that um, there were two groups essentially within the Clinton White House, uh, the Reichs, the Magaziners, the Tysons, the, the Stieglitzes, the good guys, at least yeah. in your mind. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then the bad guys, the, uh, the Larry Summers, the yeah. Al Gores, who were more conservative. Is that what happened that um, that the administration was riven by ideological division, and in the end, they made a compromise with what you would call neoliberalism. Yeah, I mean that. that, that yes, there was that that other that element of Summers, Rubin. I think that uh, I should say this: that obviously the the victory of the Republicans in 1994 had a lot to do with it. But I would say that that victory was in part a, a, a product of the. Of the, uh, the sort of the, the blunders and the mistakes uh, the, and and the and sometimes the f- uh, failures that weren't actually I don't think Clinton's fault but just happened I think that was partly the healthcare thing uh, that that gave this. What do you mean it wasn't his fault? I mean he he appointed his wife and and Magazina to write a yeah, report no, that was a but, complete but, cover, my, wasn't it? No, but my argument is that the that he. Um, uh, Created a coalition that was that he thought was the a winning coalition in favor of healthcare, and even people Republicans, a number of them thought it's an it's a done deal, it's inevitable, we need this, and it was all posited in terms of how would a healthcare reform help American industry compete with the Germans and the Japanese, and so there was a lot of support there. And what I try to show is that the divisions within American industry, within the the contradictions in American capitalism, led to the kind of the disintegration of this coalition. It wasn't just a political coalition. It had industry elements were important in it. Uh, uh, this, this, this disintegration and division within that coalition uh, ended up creating a kind of, the, the, the healthcare plan failed. Uh, the plan itself was was not a, uh, you know, I think it was, a, it was not like overly complicated. It wasn't uh, a government takeover at all. It was actually had a realistic- It didn't get a good press though, whether or not- That's it, right, it did not. So, so what I don't understand is whether or not you like Bill Clinton, I think everyone would acknowledge that he's a brilliant retail politician. That's right. He has great political instincts. Yeah. And yet you're arguing that his biggest failure was not so much ideological, but political. No, no, no. It was ideological as well. Absolutely. Because Clinton came to, to believe that, it, that, that free trade, uh, mobility of capital, this, this would inevitably create a kind of, you know, democratic uh, uh, harmony, a civil society in China would reanimate American industry. No, that was purely an idiot. He came to a, 
to agree with the views of Robert Rubin and Larry Summers and people of that sort. Absolutely. And I think, no, I thought, so it's, I mean, there was a poli- politically as well. He was a, he was a terrible leader of the Democratic Party. Uh, he divided the Democrats repeatedly, especially on trade questions. It wasn't just NAFTA, but it was opening to China. It was uh, 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 various other uh, uh, so-called fast track uh, uh, issues, uh, which you know, gave the president the right to, to do these trade deals. He divided the Democrats repeatedly. Welfare reform, of course, as well. So he was, he, uh, you know, you have to be a good party leader. I mean, and, and that, and, and you know, that, that's, uh, he, he was, he, he thought that some sort of bipartisan... So, so in your view, worked. how would this not have been a fabulous failure? What well, might have happened? Give me a, a counter... Yeah, yes, I will, I will. Let me say, the, the, phrase, yeah, the phrase fabulous came not from me, but from Janet Yellen and uh, 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 another, uh, other, uh, others in the Council of Economic Advisors, who at the end of the, of the, of the, of the decade, in, in the year 2000, wrote a little book called uh, a, The Fabulous Decade, in which they touted the low unemployment and the budget surplus uh, uh, and the free trade uh, that Clinton had instituted. Now, the problem with that, and 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 Clint, there are Clintonites still today who will say, look, we had this very low unemployment. That's a huge success. The problem with that was it was all built on a kind of bubble, uh, the stock market bubble and a kind of, uh, uh, you know, Silicon Valley bubble, which Clinton was unwilling to regulate. He, it was sort of like, Wild West capitalism, and by the end of the of the nineties, not the beginning, the end, he was he he was he went along with with uh, Rubin and Summers and Greenspan and every and others who were in favor of a complete deregulation of the financial system. So he ended up with one crash after another: the dot com bust of two thousand one, the uh, the obviously the huge uh, bust of two thousand. Uh, oh, eight and nine and ten, and then and then it re- then repeatedly, you know, s- since then, various kind of bubbles that that burst. So Cl- Clinton's fabulous uh, moment in the late nineties was, I think, built on a, on sand. I have to admit, I'm not entirely convinced. I was one of the entrepreneurs back in the nineties, failing but enjoying failure. W- what would have been the alternative? You say that he should have. Regulated well, the dot com. Well, 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 yes. I mean, how would he have done that? Well, absolutely. Well, absolutely. Right now, today, uh, one of the, the things that they're trying to do in the Biden administration is, in fact, to regulate Silicon Valley. But well, let me give you another. Yeah, but that's a slightly different. I mean, Silicon yeah. Valley in 2023 is very different from Silicon yeah. Valley well, in 1993. Well, sure, but I mean, well, yeah. But sure, another example. Uh, if you well, were, but you're you, ignoring the question now. Go so ahead, now go I ahead. mean, what should have happened? What would uh, you have liked Clinton to have done in 1993? Well, no, here's what should have happened. In the in the in the mid '90s, is that the the de, the deregulation of derivatives, which would explode in 2008? There was a intense debate inside the Clinton administration whether or not it should these should be regulated by the Commodity Futures Trading Corporation the same way you regulate futures and you make sure that there's not you know all sorts of hanky panky going on and this is a big debate and the those who were in favor of regulation were defeated decisively and we ended up with a kind of 
wild west uh, anarchistic kind of uh, uh, a proliferation of these of trillions and trillions of dollars of derivatives which exploded that was one thing and a very big thing that should have should have that, that definitely should have happened and it didn't happen uh, and and every and by the way by 2008 everyone in the clinton administration says mia Cooper. they said oh we should have done this we didn't do it uh, everyone except larry summers i should say but everyone else does uh, so that that was something very concrete the another thing which you were you if you were an entrepreneur then the deregulation of telecom uh, was was a kind of um, uh, an, an assumption that if we just sort of de- de- you know let let, let uh, Silicon Valley take over a, a lot of the of the uh, what had been the old legacy telecom companies, uh, this would all end up you know in a in a bra- kind of brave new world of uh, of efficiency and and new. And, but what it ended up was uh, was a kind of a, 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 a more monopolization of uh, and and the and the and the and you ended up with. Uh, with a kind of bust in, in, in telecom in the early 2000s, which bankrupted, uh, you know, a number of companies. So, the, so this deregulation was an ideolo- ideology which ran rife in the, in the latter part of the Clinton administration, not the beginning, but the latter part. We are talking, uh, fascinating conversation, a very important one with my um, guest, Nelson Lichtenstein. He's a professor of history at uh, UC Santa Barbara, a lovely place. His new book, A Fabulous Failure, The Clinton Presidency and the Transformation of America, is an important book because it goes back, I think, to how Democrats failed one way or the other. Of course, there are different readings of this failure. We're going to take a short break now. I want to thank our sponsor, Liberties, a quarterly journal of culture and politics. I'm going to run a short ad for uh, our generous sponsor. And then we'll be back with Nelson Lichtenstein. I want to talk more about the failures of Clinton and what we need to do now uh, amongst progressives in terms of moving forward. So don't go away, anyone. Beyond the news, the noise, there is nuance, insight. Liberties is not just a journal of ideas. It's a meteor of intelligent substance. It's the place to be for engaged citizens. Politics, opinion, substance. Liberties is a triumph for freedom of thought. A quarterly of urgency, of cultural exploration, of intellectual delight, of immaculate prose. It's invaluable. Subscribe now or find Liberties at your favorite bookseller. You can find out more at libertiesjournal.com. We are talking with my guest, uh, Nelson Lichtenstein, the author of A Fabulous Failure, a new book about the the, the Clinton presidency. Nelson, if we think about this crisis, I guess, of the left internationally. Is it any coincidence that it wasn't just Clinton, it was Tony Blair in the UK and other centre-left politicians uh, in Europe and elsewhere that experienced the same kind of crisis? Uh, And as a follow-up, are there examples of parties or or politicians who in the 90s did it right? Uh. Uh, good question. Well, yes, Tony, Tony Blair, of course, was viewed as a soulmate of Bill Clinton. I should say that um, uh, it was sort of worked the other way around, that, that the, the Clintonites were delighted when Blair, and he did win a, he won a big victory, a kind of victory that, that, that Clinton had never won in the American Congress when he came in in 97. And the whole, and it's, that, it's at that moment that the phrase third way, third way becomes uh, uh, popular and, and is used. Uh, before that, it hadn't been, but, but uh, uh, 
Blair had used it and, and Clinton was using it to a degree. Uh, and, and, and they said, oh, he, well, this sort of Blair would kind of uh, legitimize uh, the kind of compromises that were that, frankly, were, were quite unpopular uh, in, um, within the Democratic Party uh, that Clinton had been making, especially on things like welfare and crime and those kind of those kind of uh, uh, bills. Uh, and, and so they, they, they had these meetings uh, uh, in, in the UK and, and around Europe for, for these kind of kind of centrist social democratic uh, uh, leaders. Um, you know, I, that, that's a good question about who, who did it right. Uh, I mean, I think that the, the Germans, even under Kohl, uh, you know, did not move in the in the in the direction that you know of, of complete free trade uh, that the that the uh, that the U.S. did. Uh, they maintained, of course, a, you know, a kind of modest uh, well social welfare state. So I mean, there you know, and the Germany was a huge economy. There were also, by the way, in the East Asia. Uh, and these are not model societies for America. Some of them were authoritarian. They were not democratic. But when it came to the kind of unfettered flow of capital, which, which Rubin wanted and which led to the, to the East Asian financial crisis and then to the implosion of Russia in, in, the, at the, in 1998, 99, uh, some of these countries, uh, China it, itself, but, uh, uh, but also Taiwan, uh, they said, no, no, we are not going to get into that game and we're going to put controls on capital. And that turned out to be a, a, a salutary thing in terms of for their, for their economies. They didn't, they didn't have this boom and bust that, went, uh, that, that was so prevalent in, in the U.S. and, and, and Great Britain and, and, and uh, especially the U.S. So, I mean, there were, uh, there were other policies. Uh, uh, Joseph Stiglitz, who you mentioned earlier, was a Clinton economic advisor who was very hostile and, and crossed swords with Rubin and Summers, still doing it. Uh, and he had a, a well-thought-out position. Uh, uh, it, it, it didn't carry the day, but it was certainly there. What about the argument, Nelson? And you've obviously given this a great deal of thought that that Clinton and Rubin and everybody else were imprisoned by these structures that were impossible to escape from. Well, right, that's a good point too, and I think there is an element of that. I mean, clearly, when you have the rise of uh, of transpacific trade, uh, yes, I mean you have you know, and and of course the, the the rise of Wall Street, which had begun long and financialization long before Clinton gets in. There is a there, he, and Clinton himself would, would and and then the 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 bond market and the independence of the Fed being so important, Clinton himself would complain about that. He'd say he'd say I'm a Eisenhower Republican because I I can't fight the bond market or, or or, or he would uh, you know, say, you know, uh, 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 he would say, we need a left. Where's the left in America? I want a left to, to get, put pressure on me, and it's not there. So uh, there, there was that, there was that element, and of course, one. Well, the we, left was it? Were, were his friends right? Magazina, Tyson. Yeah, well, right. Well, they, well, they wanted they they wanted a, a they were looking for a left too, but it didn't exist. Well, they were the left. They were looking for. Well, no, I mean, they were they were they were policy uh, entrepreneurs, and you needed a kind of. Uh, a kind of, you know, mobilized left. This, by the way, I'd say the 90s were the period, not just the labor movement was sort of absent, but also the civil rights forces. This was a period of, of quiescence for civil rights forces as well. Uh, this would all come come roaring back uh, in, in more recent decades. Um, so so I think, but that, I think there is that structure, uh, the, the sort of first, the post-Cold War burst of, of, of trade, uh, 
did create uh, kind of pressures on Clinton that drove him in a neoliberal direction. Well, you keep on using this term. It's become, yes. I think, a rather meaningless word. It's just agree, used yeah. pejoratively to describe something you don't like. What I don't understand is, on the one hand, Thatcherism and Reaganism had clearly reached the end of yeah. their shelf life, that people were sick of that way of thinking about the world. And yet, the people who replaced them, whether it was Clinton in the US or Blair in the UK, were imprisoned within, I don't know whether you would want to call it the ideological structures or the economic structures or the policy structures. Is that true, Nelson? What happened in this transfer of power between the old right mm -hmm. and a, a new quote-unquote left? Why yeah, yeah, couldn't yeah. they escape yes. the strictures of Reaganism right. and Thatcherism? Let me make this point. Yeah, the, the, the neoliberalism, I agree it's an overused term, but I would, I would say this. What the fundamental meaning of it is that you're going to have uh, a unfettered... Uh, monetary of, of, and flows between countries and within a country without regulation. Now, the Clinton people and the Blair people were not sort of top-hatted, uh, you know, kind of capitalist, uh, you know, uh, who wanted to you crush the working class. What they wanted, they, they were in favor of a welfare state. Robert Rubin was a welfare state liberal. He wanted to have a welfare state. But more important than that was to him, and I think ultimately to Clinton, was this mobility of capital, uh, which we're talking about trillions of dollars. So when you have a world in which that is true, then the welfare state is, you know, takes the uh, the, the remains. It, it, it is, it, it gets- well, the Why is the mobility of capital, which is a free marketing capital, yeah. why why is that so bad? What was it, depri it, de it deprives countries of the capacity to regulate and organize their own economies because uh, when fl when capital flows in and out in in a, in a, in, a, in, a, in a nanosecond uh, this uh, makes it impossible for governments to uh, you know whether they raise interest rates lower them tax etc it puts constraints on that now it's I mean, the, the original Bretton Woods idea was that you would, in fact, have those constraints. And that was part of the basis of kind of international Keynesianism in the immediate post-war period. But then that all uh, uh, wasn't that good or isn't that good for the United States? It's bad for many poorer countries. But isn't that good for the United States in that they hold all the chips in this new system? Uh, well, I think not, because, for example, one of the main things that the Rubin and Summers element, they, 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 they wanted low interest rates. That was absolutely central. They thought would generate new investment. And to, to keep those interest rates low, they wanted to, you know, they had to, uh, uh, the, the, the Japanese and the, and the Chinese were going to buy American bonds. And that meant that the Rubin people, uh, their element, they were not interested in any restraints on trade with Japan or China and when you have you have low interest rates what in the do you United mean States, restraints on trade yeah, I mean, with China. trying to manage the trade for example when it, well the kind of thing that that Biden is doing today in terms of uh, uh, you know creating a, a mechanism for for you know, building, um, uh, you know, more computer chips in America. And in, in the Clinton period, there was an effort to 
manage trade with Japan. I mean, Japan was a protectionist country in one way or another. And that meant, you know, opening Japan to American auto exports. Is there an element of, and, and one of the interesting yeah. things about this whole debate about trade policy yeah. and monetary policy now is that whether or not one likes Donald Trump, he certainly has had an impact. It seems as yes. if Biden is following mm-hmm. Trump on monetary policy. Right. And he, all. he has, he has, yeah. He has are, are you suggesting that the left should embrace this this Trumpian rejection of free trade and a free oh. flow of, of of finance around the yeah, world? Yes. Oh, yes. I yes. I yes. I, I mean, I'm not the only one. Uh, and, and yes, that 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 the that 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 as a kind of uh, uh, you know, uh, principle of, of uh, yes, should be rejected. That is the absolutely the complete uh, unregulated flow of, of finance. Yes, that should be there should be constraints on that. And in addition, even the IMF has come to that position uh, uh, ten years but, ago. But thinking from uh, the American, I don't know, working class or mm-hmm. American progressivism, mm-hmm. what's the benefits of well, well, uh, one thing uh, a trade war with with. China today, for example, over computer chips. Is not talking about a trade war. principle of internationalism the heart of a progressive agenda? No, not necessarily. It was certainly wasn't after the immediately after World War II. Uh, we 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 had a we had a, a system of political and military alliances, but 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 there was but the but for example, uh, Europe Europe was able to rebuild because there was not the, the free flow of capital in and out of Europe, not at all. Um, uh, the um, the the American Midwest. Let me just say one thing about what Rubin's vision. Rubin's vision was: let's have low interest rates. Uh, uh, we, we we will have you know, booming California and New York, but if the if American industry uh, flows abroad, that's fine because uh, the cars and the and, and and the computers will be cheap, uh, and we'll just move people from the industrial uh, you know what they were doing to something else. That turned out to be politically and culturally disastrous, and uh, you know and I think Trumpism is to some degree a product of that. Are you suggesting that we can? Uh, you, you've mentioned um, Robert Rubin several times. Uh, we blame seems to blame everything. He's very, can, we, yeah. can we blame Trump on Rubin? Is that what you're arguing? No, I mean nothing is directly, and Trump has his own <laughs> mendacious uh, 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 origins. I'm no, I'm not doing that. But I mean, I would say that the the obviously the predicate for Trump to a degree is the complete hollowing out of the Midwest and the of industry industry Midwest. The reason that that Ohio or was or Wisconsin are are, are not solidly democratic states today is in part because they've lost so much industry. I want to make the point that Rubin is an attractive figure in many ways. Rubin is not some top-hatted capitalist. He is an advocate of the welfare state, but the problem, and that's one reason he was so popular among the Clintonites in the 1990s, but the problem was there's a contradiction between his, his economic fundamental policies uh, coming out of Goldman Sachs and the construction of a uh, and maintenance of a welfare state in the United States. But wasn't that, isn't, aren't those two things both, Nelson, realities? Is that Wall Street won't go away uh, and that well, he had to balance the two and we need well, well, you, to you, balance the two? Yeah, you can, through politics, begin to, uh, to uh, regulate uh, Wall Street. We began to do that in the lee of the... 2009 uh, financial crisis. Uh, we, we had some 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 regulation, and one can do more of that. And I think t- today the the Federal Trade Commission is is and 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 the uh, uh, the antitrust division of the DOJ are are doing what 
they should have been doing since 1890. That's when these laws were passed. You know, capitalism is not a system uh, that, that is self-regulating. It requires uh, uh, intervention from outside. And that's what's happening today. And I think the Clinton period, there, there were moments when they, they understood that, but it didn't happen. And, but let's just go back. You, you brought up Silicon Valley in the dot-com yeah, boom. Yeah. In the, in the yeah. 90s, there's a, currently there's an antitrust case against Google, biggest yeah. one since mm-hmm. the antitrust case against Microsoft in the 90s. Out of that antitrust case against Microsoft, you got the boom, you got dot-com, you got Google. So uh, by, yeah, yeah. By, yes. by breaking up large capitalist companies, you, you only bring more... Well, well, actually, actually, what happened with the deregulation of of telecom, which was a big deal, and Gore was pushing that in 1996, and they linked that to the rise of the of the web. Uh, but what actually happened with the with the so called breaking a uh, so called deregulation of telecom was you got more uh, oligopolistic uh, organization of, of telecom. That's what happened. It was not it was not a proliferation of companies. Actually, you got more. Well, I'm talking about specifics. Yeah, right. Yeah, and that happened with airplanes too. That happened. With well, no, but you're not answering my question. Who, who was the? What are the new oligarchs in in telecom in the nineties? Oh, I mean, well, it all begins to settle out in, in by the by the early twenty early. Give me some examples of, of these companies you're talking about. There were, there were, I mean, I mean, the uh, what became. Um, uh, let's see. The Southern Bell became, took over AT, ultimately took over AT and T, and you ended up with the there were the Baby Bells, which were you know they came out of that uh, that AT and T breakup in the eighties. But all the the Baby Bells consolidated themselves into like two or three. So and then they then they took over the the the, the, the long distance, and so you you end up today with the uh, with with just the two or three of these uh, really big companies, and 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 then the and then the layoff of of you know uh, of a five hundred thousand or you know more. Uh, uh, you know, workers were, were were kicked out, and then you ended up with a kind of lower wage structure uh, in the whole the whole industry. Uh, and uh, you know, that's that that was part of what what happened as a result of there was a big fight. Uh, St- again, Stiglitz and others were fighting against this. And Rubin, I'm sure you blame Robert. Poor old no, Robert. no, no, no. Rubin had little to do with that. He wasn't involved with that in that particular sure. one. So but, he didn't. He was. Not but, everything's been wrecked. Yeah, no, he was, let, he, let, he, let's he, fast he, forward, um, yes, yes, Nelson. Yeah. Uh, these history books especially yeah. about failure, we're always written with one eye on the, the present and the future. Right. Yeah. Uh, so your new book, A Fabulous Flavor, uh, fa- I was going to call it A Fabulous Flavor now, A Fabulous <laughs> Failure, yeah. The Clinton Presidency and the Transformation of American Capitalism, is in some ways, I think, an attempt to make sense of what's happening today in America. I began the show with reference to the Geritocrats, the Gerontocrats, the Bidens, the Feinsteins, the Pelosi's who run the Democratic Party now. What lessons does your book, do you think, on the the Clinton presidency offer progressives in America in the 2020s? well, right. Good question. It is that you 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 do have to have a, a, a plan and program to confront uh, you know, and 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 to to uh, rein in uh, the uh, you know some of the more extravagant uh, uh, you know you know sort of aspects of of, of 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 you know capitalism. For example, things like the the, the stock buybacks, which have been uh, which which Clinton was against. He was against it, but he but but he was you know the Treasury and others said no, you can't you can't. Well, the, what stock? This is just one example. What stock buybacks mean is that instead of these companies investing 
sort of directly and purposefully and doing what managers are supposed to do, which is find the best investments. They just jack up the price of their stock and, and you know, and send it back to the stock owners. Well, that kind of thing can be regulated. And, and, you, and, the, and in fact, it was before 1982. It was illegal before 1982. Well, we can, I don't know if we're going to make it illegal again, but we can put some, some uh, 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 guardrails on it. I mean, there are things that governments can do, uh, you know, and by the way, Clinton's statement, the era of big government is over, uh, that, I think that is one of the things that we need to repudiate, actually, as, as a, among progressives. There, there is a role for, uh, for, for governmental activism. And I should say here, you know, your point about Trump, uh, Trump is, is changing the Republican Party uh, into one in which there's a, you know, there is, for whatever purpose he wants, a strong governmental hand. That's what Trump is trying to do. So uh, are there... We moved in the equivalent direction. of Trump, dynamic, controversial figures within the Democratic Party who you think well, in, need to come to the fore. I mean, well, I mean, Bernie, the, the, what Bernie did, he's not a, he's a Democrat and he's a he's a human humanist, humanistic individual. But he's certainly uh, in his attacks on the billionaire class and on uh, the trade deals that uh, which, many of which came out of the Clinton era. He he has uh, I think he tapped into some of the same uh uh, uh, resentments and, and frustrations that Trump did. Don't we need new ideas, though, Nelson? It's all very well going back to Bernie, another really old man. I don't know what he is in his 80s now. Where are the new ideas? No, let me, okay, I don't. And let me say this about new ideas. Some new ideas are old ideas. And uh, I, I think that uh, you can go back uh, a century uh, and find there have, the, the left has, has whether we from the 1880s, the progressive era, the New Deal, the, 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 the 1960s, why does the left come up with some of the same ideas about citizenship, about the regulation of capital, about the importance of labor movement? There are reasons that the same ideas come to the fore all the time because they are, they are, they are the, the way path forward. They are stymied by, by others who are opposed to that. But just because these ideas have been around since 1910 or earlier doesn't mean they, you throw them into the dustbin i think that they are they are we take inspiration in fact from some of those great victories in the past uh and whether and i think i'm in favor of some old ideas that i think are good i made i made the point in, a, in an op-ed in, in the in the la times just three days ago i said one of the things clinton wanted to do was or robert reich was you know have corporate responsibility oh we we should, we should have a more corporate responsibility and that was kind of a messy failure and i ended that op-ed by saying Let's replace the idea of corporate responsibility with a very old but better idea, industrial democracy, you know, in the in the in the in the firm. And I'm, I'm still I, I adhere to that. Well, aren't we living in a post-industrial age now? No, what about no, no, the role of AI no, and no, digital no, technology? No, no, we are not. We are not because just because someone were, we, we may not have as many factories, but we have workers and we have managers, we have we have writers in Hollywood and we have studios. No, the, the, the essence of, a, of an industrial society, meaning you have capitalists and you have workers, it's, it continues to exist just because the, the mechanism by which you produce things is not a, a, a steel plant of, of 1910, but it's something else. No, no, I, no, I, no, I think that phrase in post-industrial is a terrible idea.